Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, Annie Highwater, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Good morning. This is Dominique Simone Levine, coming up for air. We are a podcast for the family and friends of people with addiction. Uh, we, we use the approach called craft community reinforcement and family training. Today, I have Kayla Solomon with me. Say hello, Kayla. It's Kayla. <laughs> Hi, Dominic. <laughs> she has not a voice like that, really. And um, no, I don't talk like that. And not at all. And and so today, Kayla, why don't you give us a little synopsis of what we're going to talk about? OK, so we have been living through a pandemic, which, by the way, it's kind of unusual. <laughs> and I feel like it's become the new normal and we need to talk about this. We need to talk about how this whole situation has affected families, how it's affected us all in terms of mental health issues, how it's affected people physically and also family dynamics, because it is not a small issue. And it's more than a year and a half now that we've all been dealing with this. And there apparently are no signs at this current moment uh, that it's going away. So we need to talk about the impact of what it's been like for us going up into this point and also what's continuing, how it's affected treatment options, how it's affected burnout, how it's affected just emotions, um, in addition to having to make choices and decisions given limitations due to the pandemic. So that's the topic. Yeah, it's it's a big topic and it's a very important current topic. And it looks like we are going to be going into another winter similar to last winter. So at least we're going to start that way. And people's mental health is not great. I mean, not just our loved ones with addiction, right? Everybody's struggling with heavy emotions these days. And in some families, I hear it called a civil war, and it, it may not have to do directly with alcohol and drugs, but a lot of us are fighting. I know I'm fighting with people, and that's not usually how my world works, but I think we're all a little fed up. You know, we need to mask, we need to test, we need to vaccinate, and we need to lead these very different lives that just descended on us. So as a family member, how are you going to find your own health and energy to help those less fortunate, in this case, your loved one struggling with alcohol or drugs? Well, and in the group, there's actually a parent that's dealing with their adult child who has serious mental health issues, has serious addiction issues, and now has COVID. And so whatever the treatment resources are or the treatment issues are, you add a layer of COVID. And what was interesting is she got him off the street and he's living in the house with her with COVID and she's trying to keep herself safe. So here we have another level of how do you keep yourself safe from somebody? Not just are they acting out? Are they using drugs? Are you know they in crisis? But now they're they have an illness that can affect you directly, even if you are vaccinated. So I feel like we're having to make these 
extremely difficult choices. Once again, how do we take care of ourselves? How do we make decisions when there's all of these other factors that we now have to consider? So everything, the complexity of everything has expanded dramatically. Absolutely. For example, in my family, you know, there are people who don't believe in vaccination and think that COVID is not a big deal and it they'll deal with it. And, you know, now we're getting into the season of family gatherings and you could avoid these questions when you're not gathering with people. But when you start gathering with family members and they're making decisions about vaccinations or masks or tests and there are people with very strong, different opinions, how do you navigate that? And I think it's actually a parallel process to navigating dealing with somebody with an addiction because they don't necessarily agree with you. So let's use this parallel process, which is dealing with people who don't agree with you, who don't have the same opinions, who think that you are imposing your beliefs on them is the dynamic, you know, that you think that, you know, everything and you're telling them what to do. And that's not not how this works. So I think it's the perfect analogy for how to, to move through with the craft model. So. You know, let's take the model and see how do we apply it over this, because it's exactly the same situation. It is. You know, you have different opinions. What do you do? And to be reactive, again, is is not going to be the answer. Where would you start with this? Because it's asking us to do the same thing where we're in front of our loved one and already our blood pressure's up. We know there's trouble. We can see they're high. I have to find a second to collect myself somehow. And that's the same when you get into these. I mean, they're dramatic, these arguments around around masking and the rest of it. It has separated my friends. It has separated me from friends. And it's not easy. And not reacting is very hard in that moment. Well, and as somebody who went through this last night, (laughs) it was on an email thread or whatever, chat thread. And what was interesting is I saw the moment it went off the rails. And what happened was there was this discussion about testing and vaccinations and the family members who don't believe in it felt like they were being perceived as the monsters, as the problem. And what happened was then there was this somebody got off and went off and they had a phone call and it got heated. And that's when everything completely went south, completely. It was like watching in real time what we're talking about, that if you bring reactivity and righteousness and I'm right, you're wrong, what's the big deal? Can't you do this? Which is what we think with our loved ones. It's like, just get help. Your life is a mess. What's how is this not clear to you? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and what happened was it went completely off the rails. And then it's like, I'm not talking. We're not doing this. And it was boom. This is not going to happen. Shut the door. Shut the door. It was over. It was fascinating. And so what happened was I was like, OK, we're going to intervene. And so what we wound up doing is calling the people that shut the door because we wanted to find out how this happened because it didn't happen on the chat thread. So we're like, what happened? And they told us and we heard about the reactivity and they felt attacked and they felt shamed and they felt like they were being made into the monsters and they were being totally disrespected. And in order to take care of themselves, they had to cut this person out. But the good news is that because we made the phone call, we actually, you know, were able to agree on the things that we agree on. And then 
took the conversation in a completely different path about the ways that we connect. And I don't know about them, but I got off the phone feeling like, okay, the repair has been made. We're connected with them. We are continuing our relationship and you know, we can work it. We could work with them on this. We could figure it out when it's time for us to get together, what we're going to do with them because they don't feel shamed. They don't feel like we're pushing them into anything. We're taking the words that they're using and we're using it to connect and not disconnect. It was fascinating. It was totally craft. Can you detail out some of the words that you said that brought the, the tension down and, and helped you to make that connection? One of the things that I do is I believe in if you can say, I hear you, you're right, then it immediately dissipates the situation. Hold on here. Okay, wait. (laughs) I can't say you're right when you're not right. Except the work that I do. Okay, this is not I am not validating your entire um, belief system. That's not what I'm validating. This goes back to that detective piece. I am going to listen for what you say that makes sense to me. So again, on a a micro dose, you're going to find the microscopic piece that makes sense to you. Okay. Because there's always something that makes sense to you. Okay. And I feel like we're so busy trying to look at the big picture of how crazy this sounds to you and how irrational people sound that we don't look for the tiniest pieces that we can move in towards and lean in with. So I get it. You know, the government has overreached in the past. I understand why you might. No, I would never say that. No, because that I don't necessarily agree with. What I'm going to say is it makes complete sense to me that you have the right to make your own decisions. That makes complete sense to me. Okay, because that does. It makes complete sense to me that you don't want anybody telling you what to do. It makes sense to me that you don't want to be judged for your choices. You don't want anybody to think that they know better than you do, Mm. because that's what all of this is about. I think that's what's happening in the country, the world, whatever is people don't want to be judged and told what to do. That's the argument. And the flip side is if your choices are going to negatively infect me, then I need to step in. But I need to find that place so that I can soften it and that you could hear my concerns. But if I start out with you're crazy, you're wrong, I don't get it. What are you thinking? Then that fight's already over. So for me, it's really more like, tell me what you think. Okay, but where do you get your concerns aired here? Because right now you're going to encourage him to agree with you. Mm -hmm. He's going to agree. Yes, it is true. The uh, you know, I I feel like I have a right to whatever goes into my body. I have a say over what goes into my body. Mm -hmm. It's a very similar argument to abortion. It's just we're on one side with one and one side with the other. And but it's the same argument. And it's like, okay. I get that. That makes sense to me. And one of the things that I feel like I'm witnessing in the world is this kind of rage. It feels like rage has been unleashed. I feel like what's my part? Because it scares me. I feel it's uncontrollable when I when somebody's expressing this gigantic emotion and it feels like it's an assault. And I feel like that's what our family members deal with on a regular basis. 
So number one, for me personally, what I have to do is try not to, I have to protect myself. And my protection is this is fascinating. This is not about me personally. Okay. It is uh, my number one defense is to look at what that person is expressing as theirs and not a particular assault on me, even if they are saying it's me. So once I could do that, that's just such a critical first step. I mean, how how did you get there? I mean, how did you deescalate, calm yourself in that second to go? Because I can do that, too, but not when I'm upset and not, you know, there's a certain point where I still I can't get to the. Isn't this interesting? Because you taught me this 30 years ago. Yeah. Be curious. This is interesting. Huh. And I've learned to do that, but I, I still, it still comes down to that critical spark and part of a second where you've got to catch yourself. And that's what you had to learn first, that first step, which was, okay, yes, it's not about me. Even if they're screaming, it's about me. It's not about me. This is what they're saying. This is what you can agree with. I can agree with what you're saying. This is the few things that make sense to me. And what you're yeah, saying. I don't I'm not saying I agree. I never, ever, ever say I agree. That's okay. not what I say. I say you make sense to me. It's two different things. You make sense to me does not imply agreement. It implies that I'm understanding their thought process. OK, and their thought process makes sense. If you think this, then, of course, the outcome would be this. That's what making sense of it is. I never say I agree. I don't believe in saying that because I think it's a that's a, a fraught possibility. And I don't think people need to be agreed with. I think they need to be heard and ha- be validated for their perspective. The way I developed this years and years and years ago, and it's a defense. So, you know, this is from my my wounding taught me this one. So I lucked out on a very helpful defense. But basically what happened was and I'm going to talk about my childhood for a minute. I grew up in a very reactive. My father was insane. He literally would walk in the house after the end of a very long day and nothing was going on and he would explode. And I'm like. This has nothing to do with anything that's already happening. He's not mad at us. There's something else. And I would say, oh, I have a crazy father. And that really helped me because if he's crazy and he's mad, then I didn't do anything. And I knew that it wasn't about me, but he it affected me. But he was in his own land and I just happened to step on a landmine. So as I got older, I, I changed it to this kind of reality that I started to realize that I am not the center of the universe. That was my my bumper sticker, because if people are mad and they're yelling at me and they think I did something wrong and I'm so powerful that I affected them, that makes me the center of the universe that I can change people, help people. And it, this happened as a therapist because I originally wanted to help people. And somewhere along the line, I'm like, oh, that's not going to work out because there's all these people that I would work with and I wasn't helping. So I'm like, how do I continue doing this if that's my goal? And then I started to realize it's not about me helping people. I'm very good at what I do if people do the work. If people are doing the work, I'm amazing. I look like a freaking superstar therapist. But what happens is if they don't do the work, I'm terrible. You know, it's useless. They're wasting their time. They're wasting my time. And then I realized what's the denominator here? And the denominator is that person. It's their desire to do something, their desire to dig in, their desire to do the work. So what happens is that I start to realize, wow, that's them. And I'm not 
that powerful that I could change them, make something happen, manipulate them so that they could get the help that they need and have a better life. I'm walking around with all these tools, but it's like with any tool, if that person doesn't pick up the tool, nothing happens. It doesn't work if you don't work it, as the program says. That's when I started to realize I need to separate the other person from myself. They are allowed to have their reactions. They're allowed to have their feelings. They're allowed to be upset. And I'm not saying that if somebody's upset with me, that it isn't something that I've done. But my job is to take it apart because there are times I, I do something and I'm like, whoa, you're an idiot. That was terrible. And that's my job is to then back up, change it, work on that. I take full responsibility because there are things that I do that are not good. That is not what I'm saying, but there are times when people are just reactive and I need to allow them to be reactive. And I'm much more helpful if I'm not ingesting that. I, if I have a little space between myself and the other person and I go into my mode of like listening and reflecting and validating. And once I start doing that, then they're able to process. And after all of that, that's when we come in with, okay, so if I'm afraid of getting sick and you're not vaccinated and, and it's interesting because what this argument came down to is that they felt like they were saying because they were not vaccinated, they were the only ones that had to be tested. And one of them said, how about if we all get tested? And I was like, brilliant idea. Brilliant idea. And of course, they mentioned conspiracy theories, but it's like it's not a conspiracy. And I'm like, nope, I think that that's brilliant because this way. There is there are breakthrough cases. You are absolutely right. None of us are actually have a clue if we're bringing it or not. So I think that's genius. Let's do it. Everybody should get tested. But what happened was because it got heated and the fight was not about that on the phone, then it was too late for this family gathering because they were mad at that other person who actually went in angry. So what I'm saying is you back up and have the conversation from this calm place, look for what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what their ideas are, and then find the place that you go for agreement. And then you take the heat out. Yeah. Does this make sense? It makes a great deal of sense. It's extremely hard to do. I think that training and experience as a therapist just line them up all day long for you. <laughs> this is not my problem, you know? And, and when it happens, it happens to us run-of-the-mill citizens, it's still it's still extremely upsetting when it first blows up. And I think that there are, what we're going to be doing in the coming weeks is, is to talk a lot about alternative health ideas that both our loved ones and ourselves can can utilize and ways of trying to find that, that, that split second that's so, so important, right? I just want to bring up this last piece because it's, it went on in my week, which was the stigma that I saw, which is the shame and the, the same thing we're describing, whether it's our loved ones, whether it's somebody who you want to get into a family gathering with, which I had not experienced firsthand working mostly with people on the East Coast. But the stigma of, of methamphetamine is real and it's affecting the ability of families to talk with one another and people with methamphetamine problems to to admit to it to their families. And it's it's like the new junk, right? It's the new heroin. You can recreate all you want, but methamphetamine just seems to send everybody 
flipping, um, including general practitioners that don't know about it, what it looks like, and the families themselves that just have seen a lot of bad posters <laughs> over the years coming out of the West. So again, it, it's about catching yourself. It's about trying to understand how you might feel about wanting to talk about what you're doing to start there. Well, and I think all of this is about a practice. I'm not suggesting that the first time you do this, that this is going to work in any way ever. Nothing like works like that. And, and I know I'm very repetitive about this on the podcast, but I feel like there are these tools that you learn about and you must assume that you're going to be awful at it when you start. Why would you presume that you're good at this? Why? You've never done it. It makes no sense to you. It sounds ridiculous. It sounds impossible when you first start thinking about it, but you try it anyway. The only advantage that I have of other people is I get to practice more than other people. So I'm a little, I have my 10,000 hours in. <laughs> But what happened is that once you make a decision to do something differently, then you put it as an intention and you practice it with everybody in your life, not just this person. Okay. Cause it's not about one person. It's about you developing a different way of dealing. And that's the interesting thing. Once you start working on this, any of these tools, you realize that you bring the same dysfunction in a lot of different areas, you just don't notice it because you haven't been paying attention. So same thing with the tools. Once you start saying, OK, I'm going to start calming my system down before I speak, I'm going to step back before I speak. So that becomes the intention. And then you notice how many times in a day you're doing it or not doing it. So you're going to assume that at the beginning, if you got one shot in for a day and you've done it and you've jumped in 20 times, then that one time counts as your progress. The next day, try for two. And that's how this works is I, I feel like a lot of family members that I'm noticing is that there's this element of I have to get it right. I have to be perfect. And then they feel crushed or disappointed when they don't get it right. That's not the model that I believe in. I believe trying and failing is actually much more purposeful than not trying at all because you're afraid to get it wrong. And for me personally, my failures actually are the thing that propel me to do it better because it annoys me so much and it offends me so much. And I, I see so much of what I did in sense around that it allows me to be a little bit more conscious the next time. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, my God, that was horrible that I can't believe I just did that. And that that is so motivating for me. But you can't change it if you don't know what to do. Yeah. And you can't change it if it's not if you don't care. And this willingness, this desire is so, so critical. I, I remember someone saying once you can not want to change a small thing and it won't change, but you can want to change a huge thing and it will change. You know, it, it's about that desire to work and to pick up these tools. And so I love the make sense. It makes sense. It makes sense. Just those three words. It makes sense. I like the one that's help me to understand, help me to understand. And I've gotten out of that habit in isolation. So back to the pandemic, I mean, we don't have the tellers. We don't have the face to face. We are more virtual than I ever thought we could be when computers started coming into our lives and, yeah, and people exactly. having virtual relationships and arguments virtually. And, and it's, 
and it's harder with the pandemic. We're seeing the same two or three people. We're relying more on on just the few the few people who help or who love us and who we love. And as this mom in your group, now she has a son in the basement with active addiction, not knowing where along the cycle he is. Has he any interest? Is he in trouble with it? And active COVID. He wasn't in the basement. He's in the next bedroom. Aye, aye, aye. You know, the, the other saying, just from talking when, when you said the program, Kayla, you met AA because a number of us with years of, of experience have experienced AA. And the, the other saying I love, which I use in my own reactivity, is a restraint of pen and tongue. And it should be tongue and pen because I'm not much of a writer, but the tongue is, restraint of tongue is always a safe first move. <laughs> and I've learned that, that not, I have not learned much else, but sometimes that's just, okay, don't say anything. And that's why on Allies in Recovery, we added the, the negative talk habits because there are patterns and ways that we just start launching. You said, you're right. And I went, oh, no. And even before you were finished explaining yourself, that was my reactivity. It's just a very critical piece of the work. And just to update the pen part of it, the pen is now texting and emailing and online communication. So that's the pen part of it, which is just as important. Really, time needs to be your friend. So what happens is you need to buy time before you respond. That's what this is about. That's, I think, one of the most important tools that we have is to buy time before we respond and look for a way to bridge things without having to agree with somebody, because that's what stops us. It's like, I don't agree with you, so we're not doing this. It's not about agreement. It's about finding what makes sense to you about their line of thinking. And if you can't do that, then you need to dig in and figure it out because people do make sense. They're just coming from a different reality. And that's why I believe I'm not the center of the universe, because I feel like people are living in a different universe and I want to understand their universe. And once they feel understood, they stop attacking me. Almost immediately. It's it's in seconds. It's in seconds. And I've, I've been successful and I will continue to try. But it's it's amazing. They feel heard. Yes, that is the key is if you hear somebody, you deescalate. And so that's my goal, because with deescalation, you have a sense of calm. You have a sense of like, oh, you get me, even if you don't understand me completely. I don't understand everything, but I understand some things. And that's where I'm going. Remember, the goal is connection. And so if we connect, then there's possibility for change. You're using these tools. And so I guess it's time for me to summarize. But basically, the pandemic has affected all of us. It's created isolation. It's created division. It's created this feeling of us versus them. And we feel like both sides, all the sides believe that the other person, the other worldview makes absolutely no sense. And people are being irrational and unfair and imposing their beliefs on other people. That's both sides feel that. What this topic is about is that how do we take a step back and look for commonality, look for 
understanding. Look for what makes sense about what this person is saying. What microscopic aspects make sense to you? So that creates a bridge. And from the bridge, change can happen. From division and feeling shame and feeling accused, you nothing good comes out of it. You just shut the door on it. That's right. You shut it down. And then we want the doors open. That's what craft is about. That's what Allies in Recovery is about is keeping the door Keep open. Keep the door open. Because then the possibilities are endless. But with the door closed, there's no possibility. Right. And that doesn't mean you, you're a doormat. In fact, you're learning skills to, to manage one of the most complicated relationships you'll probably ever have in your life with somebody with active alcohol and drug issues. So, um, and possibly mental illness and possibly a learning disorder. And, and so uh, we know all this very well, Kayla, thank you so much. I love hearing from you always. You are, I once, uh, I said to somebody the other day, Kayla, Kayla is the reason I have any social skills whatsoever. <laughs> we spent five years in a in a group with with Kayla as the as the facilitator, and she changed my life. So thank you, Kayla. Have a good week. We'll talk next week. You too. Take care, Dominic. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.